0: dude we are going to energize the country we need to wake up and smell the coffee the independence keys is a powerful one another future is possible but we've got to fight for it Order. hello and welcome to the debated podcast as always i'm your host will and in this episode of the podcast i'm delighted to be joined by tom brooks professor of law and government at Durham university law school a member of the Fabian Society's Executive Committee and of the Society of Labour Lawyers, director of the Labour Academic Network, author of several books, including Becoming British and Reforming the UK Citizenship Test, and the author of a new pamphlet recently published by the Fabian Society, which we'll be discussing today, New Arrivals, A Fair Immigration Plan for Labour. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Will. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to have you back because, of course, we, we previously um, had you on the podcasts quite a bit ago discussing um, similar uh, subjects to this. But my first question to you is this uh, What made you decide to write this particular pamphlet on a new policy for Labour in terms of immigration?
1: Great. Well, thank you very much, and a terrific opening question. Um, with, with Joby, we're, were a few things. Um, I've had the the great privilege of advising uh, the front bench on immigration issues uh, since 2014, starting with uh, giving support to the manifestos uh, commitments around immigration for 2015, 2017, and 2019, um, but also branching out into advising on uh, all matters of legislation, uh, various Points for debate, uh, parliamentary questions, and so on and so forth. And one of the things that I've believed, as you can probably hear from my, my accent, I'm 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 an immigrant myself. Is I felt very strongly that labor should have something powerful and compelling to say about immigration. It shouldn't be something that we're afraid to talk about. Um, and um, and I've been giving advice for a long time on ways in which we could we could do that. I, I was I was originally tasked by the previous shadow home secretary Nick thomas Simons, with thinking about you know so what would a labour uh, you know if labour were in government what would we do differently about the points based system? It was a question to me. It wasn't a question for him. And I promised I'd get back to him. Uh, I, I'd give it some thought and I'd i put something together. Well. This pamphlet is uh, is uh, my completing that that project uh, uh, for him, setting out what labor's plan for immigration would be, what what the system would look like, how it would be different from what the Conservatives have been doing, from everything from entry to exit and and everything in between. So that was my kind of kind of formal um, reason for for putting it together. I also note that there's been. I mean, the, the, the Fabian pamphlet series is a very distinguished one, and I'm very honored to be um, amongst its authors, but there hasn't really been much of anything on immigration, seemingly ever ever written. in terms of the, the single-authored pamphlets. There's mm. been a few edited um, uh, booklets over the years, but there hasn't been anything quite like this, and certainly not for, for a long time. So I thought this is something like this was necessary to kind of begin a conversation, if nothing else but also to put into one place my considered kind of eagle-eyed view of of the whole thing and how it should fit together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, the pamphlet is um, broken down into three parts, prosperity, respect, and security. Um, In in, in terms of coming up with these particular um, overarching themes, what what was it that made you think of these specific words, prosperity, uh, respect, and security?
1: Well, a number of things. I mean, as I as I noted, I have been advising the front bench since two thousand fourteen, and in two thousand fifteen, I had the great pleasure of working uh, with the then shadow immigration minister, uh, a guy called Keir Starmer, and so i you know we were working together on various um, uh, policy ideas um, at that time, and and looking to um, uh, to see what how we would make the system, how he would make the system uh, differently. I was just um, uh, giving some, some, some background um, advice and writing um, some odd, odd papers about it. And one of the things that, that drove me from those days was centering it on fairness. So in the title, you know, a fair system, you know, a fair immigration system is, is what uh, drives the, the, the project at its core, um, driven by, and I'm sure we'll get to lots of examples of this, in the system has not been been fair either in how the Home Office operates uh, or the policies that it is asked to um, asked to implement um, seemingly across across the range. So I wanted to make it fair. Why those three words? Well, you know, obviously um, this has become a a kind of a mantra uh, in in the party at the moment. You might have noticed that I I've changed the order slightly. <laughs> Uh, so the, the, the normal uh, line of security, uh, uh, prosperity, and respect. And I put security, uh, I, I just mentioned it third. That's not a sign that security is not important or the most important area and and, and, you know, and so on and so forth. Why I, I put that in the order I, in which I did was because when we think about immigration, one of the things that many people kind of confuse around that is thinking that uh, most uh, uh, immigrants uh, are asylum seekers, or there's some security issues and all the rest of it. And security is hugely important, and I have got a range of measures about that, and I'm happy to talk about that too. Uh, but I wanted to leave that um, at the end because I think that one of the the the, the kind of the the low-hanging fruit, as they say. Uh, in, in the trade um is is in making a more prosperous um country out of the immigration system i think it can be done in a controlled and measured way um where we can improve on what the conservatives um have done so i that's why i've listed prosperity first i think it's important that you know an immigration system that is fair is fair to everyone mm. you know it, you know this is not about making the country worse off it's making the country better off mm. you know we you know and 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 you know I would kind of rhetorically say, you know, why will we not want to be more prosperous, have greater respect amongst ourselves and those we welcome as our neighbors? Um, and of course, we, we should have be, be um, you know, give priority to, to security concerns, um, which I think can be um, strengthened in, in various ways. So it isn't just taking uh, the, the mantra and just kind of, you know, playing around sure. with it. Um, as easy as that might have been. It is, you know, I think they are kind of core values um, to um, rally around, which is why I've divided my pamphlet into, the, into three parts with chapters addressing each of them. I, I do believe in, in these things, but I did want to kind of give a, uh, a, a, a kind of a, a lexical priority <laughs> <laughs> in terms of which we talk about first uh, in the pamphlet um, on, on prosperity, um, and, and kind of really tackle head on the idea that, uh, you know, labor is a party of a business, you know, the, the clue is in the name labor. Uh, we want people to to work and be successful. And, uh, but we, you know, but, you know, according to values, um, mm-hmm. according to our values, and, and that's what I try to set out. And that's why I did
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd just like to tackle um, one of the um, proposals, which is in the first section, prosperity, which particularly um, stood out to me because I thought it was a particularly interesting one, which is the proposal uh, for regional visas, that is, Mm. visas for workers that are linked to specific um, regions. And you give uh, the example, for example, uh, devolved governments or regions like the Northeast. Now, um, why do you think it would be a particularly good idea to have um, regional uh, visas that are regionally linked. How do you think it could boost particular um, local economies by having that proposal in place?
1: Great, thank you, um, and, and an excellent point. Uh, I am happy to uh, admit that I was originally very uh, sceptical about the use of, of regional visas mm. when it was first being uh, talked about by, by various people. Um, I remember, um Chukka Amuna, when he was a Labour MP, trying to, um, you know, kind of bring me on board with this idea, and I, I had a number of, of reservations, primarily around uh, enforceability. But I've come around. I've come around for for two. You know, without speaking further uh, with Chuck, unfortunately, it's nothing. You know, not his fault. It's my fault, I guess. But but for but for, for separate reasons, one of the reasons is that um, you know we have there are workable models for. Uh, making something like this um, happen and I've become uh, convinced that uh, a place like Canada Switzerland has one one too but I've been more impressed by Canada's system where they have a number of visas that are available to anyone to work anywhere in the country but then they've got um, they they divide uh, other uh, 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 visas by by province and mm. um, and what that allows provinces to do is to take ownership, to take responsibility for, uh, you know, are there any shortage occupation areas of interest to the development of those provinces according to those provinces, not the central hmm. government, top-down, or, or the rest of it? You know, allowing them to, uh, you know, kind of do things for themselves and, and allowing provinces, if they wanted to, to, to trade, to effectively barter. Um, so effectively, some provinces might sell off some of their share as it were uh, to, to other provinces as and when, um, if, if, you know, because th- there might be different needs one year to the next province, um, to, to, to province. This, these are ways in which you have control over the total number of, of, of people. If the government wanted to have control, it can, it can, it can, it can do that you put the, the national interest first, most are for, um, uh, you know, anywhere, any job, any, any province. At the same time, kind of focusing some support on, on areas, more, say more remote areas, that um, might otherwise be, be missed uh, or underdeveloped. And so one of the facts of immigration to the UK amongst those who work is that there is a disproportionate number that um, take up work in London Southeast. Um, There's far more that go towards that area than say other parts of the UK. Mm. And then of course is partly because there um, are more opportunities, there are more jobs, there's more people in in, in that part of the country. Um, That's true. Another thing that I expect will uh, be behind that also is you have higher wages mm. in in those areas, and and not necessarily, um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and the importance of that is that the minimum income thresholds that the government has have been one size fits all.
0: Mm.
1: Well, it's easier to meet a national guideline in a part of the country that has higher relative wages, even if not, you know, uh, cheaper rents and and mortgages and and so on and so forth, than in other parts of the country where Um, you might have a terrific quality of living, um, but the average average salaries might be be lower. And so one way of of looking to kind of address this kind of one-size-fits-all Westminster top-down model um, would be to uh, allow some regional variation uh, in um, the awarding of visas, including um, some controlled, as you noted, uh, by devolved governments, I think it is possible to police this, um, say that um, you can only work for an employer at, a, at an address in a certain um, part of the country, mm. um, though being open-minded about where one, one lives. And I think what is helpful about this is that the economic facts of uh, workers, immigrants who, who uh, with work faces, is that they tend to stimulate economies. They tend to be job creators. So um, in the government's efforts to level up, you know, one issue here is that it would be easier, perhaps, to level up and uh, attract uh, new talents and skills to areas outside of London and in the the southeast, if it were easier to bring in highly skilled migrants um, to different areas that had to work in those areas in order to satisfy uh, their visa. Um, it, I'm surprised there's an idea that hasn't been, um, hasn't had more legs in, in recent years. It has been talked about um, for a while. As I said, I've had uh, chats in the parliamentary tea rooms about this, <laughs> um, as it were, for, for some years. And and again, I know I've been, I've been um, skeptical myself about how this works, but I think it can work. We also have a bit of a model for this in terms of seasonal worker pieces. Um, where um, this will be linked to uh, people very temporarily coming over um, for uh, work say in the agricultural sector um, that is tied to a a location for work. Um, And and that seems to have been um, a success. The biggest problem with uh, the seasonal worker uh, visas is that there's a far greater uh, demand um, uh, for, for seasonal workers than the government seems able to facilitate even though the government has been been offering a number of visas it's, it's not been able to come close to 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 meeting its own own targets um and i note uh, as i say in, in my pamphlet that uh, over 80 percent of the seasonal worker visas were awarded the last two years to ukrainian um citizens and there's, mm-hmm. there's kind of new concerns around that given um the recent events but um but that that's why i'm i'm for the regional visa now And and some thoughts around how it might work.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, I'd like to uh, now turn just to um, a point that you make in the respect section, which I thought was particularly uh, interesting, uh, which was ensuring uh, equal recognition of native British languages like Mm. Welsh, Scotch Gaelic and Cornish. Now. how, how do you think that would work? And also, do you think that that would help to perhaps restore some balance that people feel in um, particular parts of the UK in terms of the union and might improve a feeling of, of, of unity uh, towards the United Kingdom?
1: I am especially pleased you've, you've uh, touched on this, Will. So thank you for the opportunity to, to say something about, about this. This is this is important. I mean, I have a number of ideas. This is a in a chapter on on English language, and some of my ideas are around closing uh, loopholes the government has in um, uh, in, in being able for, for for immigrants being able to in certain circumstances um, get around um, having to prove they. Uh, no satisf- satisfactory English, and and also um, ending a postcode lottery of English language um, support. But on the on the on these um, languages, as I refer to them as British languages, um, in the pamphlet, the idea is something like this: when we hear people today talk about, um, you know, what it, the importance of being British, and we hear things like the importance of knowing English. Um, people are of course right to say knowing English is hugely important, and I'm all for it. in fact i'm I'm, 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 I'm foreclosing <laughs> loopholes on it and increasing provisions. so you might say I'm, I'm I'm much tougher on English language requirements and, than the government and, and perhaps many others as well. so I'm not uh, yeah so so fully committed to that. however, however, there's a revisionist view that says that to be British it is always meant. That you needed to be fluent in English, and that has most definitely not been true. Um, at the founding of the UK, in the Act of Union between England and and Scotland, unfortunately for the Welsh, already a uh, part of England uh, by that time, as it were, um, it was not uh, a matter of common law that you needed to be fluent or know a word of English per se. Um, that Welsh and Scots Gaelic have always had. Um, equality with English um, for most of of British history. And in fact, um, until until October 2013, it was possible to become a citizen without having to show you knew any um, uh, English or or prove you had a fluency in English. Um, uh, This is because until Halloween, Uh, uh, In 2013, under the coalition government, they stopped the ability um, of people to do things like pass the citizenship test, which is offered in English, Welsh and Scots Gaelic, um, and allow it to count not only for your having knowledge of life in the UK, which it still does, which is a requirement for permanent residency and citizenship, Mm. but they allowed it to satisfy the language requirement as well. And when that stopped in 2013, now this has meant that you could pass the citizenship test in Welsh or Scots Gaelic, and it is offered, though it's almost never taken up, um, for reasons I can get into, um, but uh, you still had to do um, the English uh, language um, uh, test. Now, one thing I think is important is that when we travel to Uh, Wales, uh, Scotland, uh, some parts of Northern Ireland, you do hear different languages being spoke, different Mm. British languages um, being spoke. And and in some areas, they are the mainstay of everyday life. And it has been historically and culturally true for centuries that these languages um, have been given uh, a a kind of equality with English. So when we go to Wales, we will see um, signs in uh, English and Welsh and forms in English and Welsh and so on and so forth. And one of the ideas uh, here is giving kind of greater recognition of the importance of these languages. I don't think um, that if someone were, and you might say it'd be highly unlikely, but if someone were able to show a proficiency in one of these, um, uh, languages. One, some say informally, they probably have a degree of fluency in English um, anyway. But um, if someone is a Welsh speaker and they live in Wales, um, then you know, why shouldn't it be um, important for thinking about their integration? It might be in some areas the you know the best thing they could maybe do to uh, integrate to their areas um, and so on. Cornish. Um, the reason I mention Cornish <laughs> is. In, um, I hope I get my dates right uh, for the podcast. Um, it, it would have been, um, well, it would have been during the time of the coalition um, government uh, between 2010, and 2015. Um, I think uh, 2014-ish or 2015, um, Cornish was given protected minority status. Now, a great many people at the time, what, what, what comment there was on, you know, the different news channels, I won't name any, I won't name and shame any <laughs> particular um, this morning, um, they often reflected on what in the world that that means and often thought it just was a kind of a, a broadly just a symbolic thing. Liberal Democrats, coalition partners, um, you know, had had a presence in Cornwall. As thought as maybe um, uh, trying to um, connect with their um, supporters in some way and in terms of a formal um, importance, uh, it, it gave it allowed extra funding to go for Cornish language and and cultural um, activities and so on and so forth. Now, there's two other things uh, that I think are of possible interest. Or one of them is that protected minority status in law means that those groups that are identified in that way the welsh scots gaelic the the irish um are to have a have an equality in how their cultures and so on are are treated Mm. and one of many ways this is manifest this is not the only way and i'm not suggesting it's the only way or most important way and so on but one of the ways this is manifest is in yes uh one of my favorite topics the citizenship test uh where we where you know new immigrants people who want to be permanent residents or citizens are required to know about the patron saints of um all parts of the uk not just england of course but also to know the national foods to know the flags to know um various things about um uh welsh um, culture Scots culture, people at Northern Ireland, and so on and so forth. What is missing is any mention of the Cornish. And after the Cornish were granted protected minority status, there was then a legal obligation on the government to treat um, the Cornish with with some degree of, of equality with the other protected minority groups. And one way in which the government To fulfill that was in extra uh, funding for uh, Cornish language and and, and cultural um, um, activities, and that was good. Um, But one thing that has not happened is that there's not been any revision yet of the citizenship test, amongst other things, which ought to happen uh, in order to to grant that equality. And the other thing is that the other, um, you know, the Welsh and Scots Gaelic speakers, you know, they are able to take the test in their languages, it ought to be available in Cornish if they are to have a protected status with the others. I've heard no one, I've heard lots of people say they didn't think the Cornish status mattered a whole lot, but I've not heard anyone say that it shouldn't, it should be taken away. Um, And if it should stay, and I think it should, then that's one of many things that ought to um, happen. And we might think, well, hang on a second, this sounds a bit crazy, Um, you know, Cornish language, you know, uh, you know, why should that all of a sudden, one might say, have some kind of equality uh, with the Welsh language and Scots Gaelic? Is this some kind of weird coalition government <laughs> hangover or or, or, or or words to that effect? I'm not trying to put words in a, <laughs> an imaginary critic's mouth, but, uh, but there you are. And so this brings to my other very quick point, is that it's actually the case for the last couple centuries that in Parliament, if you want it, when you take up a seat in Parliament, and well, perhaps you will one day, um, you can you, you have to swear an oath of allegiance. This can be done in English. It can be done in Welsh. It can be done in Gaelic. Like you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. <laughs> and it can be done, and as I understand, it has occasionally been done in Cornish, and there is an official Cornish uh, uh, version you can use. So to kind of say that the Cornish language should have some type of equality, And I am not Cornish myself. I've got no DNA connection that I'm aware of. I'm not in any family or other connection um, with with, with Cornish. So this is not coming from from me, as it were, um, from from my own personal idiosyncrasies. It has been been something um, in, in, in Britain that we have recognized multiple British languages together um, that they've had a kind of equality in, in a way like that. Um, they continue to do so, including the Cornish. And I think it is, it's, it's, um, it's it's a problem that uh, it's so half-hearted that uh, the government has not kind of fulfilled even the basic terms of, of giving the particular minority status to the Cornish. But also for the Welsh and Scott Gaelic speakers, if you're going to have, for example, allow a test for people to become citizens and vote with full rights alongside you and others then there ought to be a handbook in that language to help you prepare for the test mm. in that language but they allow you to set the test in welsh but you need to study for it in english and i think things like this are one of the way, many ways the system is unfair and and should be corrected
0: mm, certainly so there certainly. You are a
1: long long story on on the <laughs> british languages but that that's 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 my full reason
0: but but a but a very fascinating one and an insight, as you say, into um, the uh, differences that, that currently are in, in the system and, and things that um, should be changed and, and, and could quite easily um, be changed. I was fascinated
1: by it because at the again at the time, people thought it was a, a kind of an electioneering gimmick and mm. wasn't really important. And I was, you know, I was asking, you know, I work, I, I was dean of a law school, I was asking my colleagues, you know, so what the heck is uh, protected minority status and trying to get my head around um, all the implications of that. And it was, I found it interesting stumbling on um, uh, what this meant um, and how the government, why it should go further. And I called on them to do so. They are in the, uh, there are no ignorance of my views on this, uh, but uh, but have you know for various reasons have failed to uh, to take it further. Mm-hmm. Though they have said in a parliamentary question, I think in two thousand seventeen, I'm trying to be fair. Well, I am desperately trying <laughs> to be fair to to the government. Um, in in a I think a shocking revelation, in a in a parliamentary question, I, I, I wrote um, for um, Absol Khan, the then shadow immigration minister, who took over from Keir Starmer. Um, the government said that they were looking into making the test available in cornish so i know this is very this is officially on their plates they are officially aware of, of of the need to um to do something like this unless they plan on on pulling the status away from our brothers sisters and brethren in, in, in cornwall but um in the greater cornish community outside it but uh, the diaspora um mm-hmm. but uh but there you are there you yeah. are fascinating stuff
0: Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, 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 Well, I I think for our listeners as well. uh, Another point um, from the section on respect that I thought was quite interesting, I'd just like to touch on, is um, the introduction of a a new bank holiday called UK Day that you um, propose. Uh, What what, what do you sort of like think um, would would happen if we did have a a UK Day introduced in Britain?
1: Yeah, so several ideas come into mind here so i have had mostly criticism i mean this i've been very pleased to see how well received thus far my pamphlet has been granted in its early early days but one of the criticisms i've had from uh, uh some uh labor party members um uh more on uh, to the left than than, than I am is it kind of um Kind of a real uh, aversion to um, to this, this this idea, which is surprised me a bit. And so let me explain why I was thinking. I mean, first of all, um, Jeremy Corbyn was arguing for a bank holiday, an extra bank holiday, uh, or so, um, as well, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea of, of calling for new bank holidays or extra bank holidays is is not for me a left or right issue, and it's not um, and it's not itself even a novel um, idea. Uh, there's been many others who've been who've been arguing for this um, for something some, some bank holiday as well. The issue has been, and and this is driven, of course, by the fact that you have um, you've you've got you have varying numbers of bank holidays in the UK, which is uh, which one uh, becomes more mindful of uh, when you you don't live in England <laughs> um, uh, or have uh, strong connections outside, but. Um, you know, so different different parts of the UK have, have have different numbers of bank holidays. England has the fewest, but as a as a, as a as a group, as it were, as a country, uh, we rank uh, we we fall behind um, other countries in the number of bank holidays uh, that we have, and and by more than one. So, an extra one, uh, I I didn't think itself, um, uh, you know, would would if anything would bring us a bit closer. Mm to other um, European countries, and, and and even the United States, um, and, and so on. The idea of the UK Day is, is something is, is, is kind of motivated. My, my thinking around it was motivated by two, two kinds of things. The first, in my mind, was that we've all been living through uh, this horrible uh, time with COVID, uh, two years of lockdown where uh, it would seem with the exception of the prime minister's Mm -hmm. um, partying um, uh, antics, uh, that the rest of us, um, you know, were, um, you know, by and large, you know, abiding by the lockdown rules um, and separated from family and friends. And this is painful, uh, both in our not being able to share um, happy, what should be happy milestones of special birthdays and births and other types of stuff like that for people, but of course more um, vividly, uh, you know, uh, loss of, of loved ones um, during this time. And I know a great many who, who lost a lot of, um, you know, many members of the family, um, not least um, uh, poor Absol Khan, had, had some terrible tragedies in his family um, from, from COVID. And so we've been apart from each other, and we've missed each other. And so one thought was, in having New Bank Holiday, It seemed that it would be good as a means of coming together and as it were kind of celebrating these bonds of community, um, solidarity, togetherness um, that we have, given that we've all been having to sacrifice this um, for this public health reasons for the last two years. And that made me reflect um, on my my American backgrounds and where we have a a holiday of, of Thanksgiving Day um, Canada has uh, Thanksgiving Day as well. Other countries do too. It's not only um, America, and they they all happen at, at different times. America happens to be in November. That doesn't motivate me with this UK day for November, um, uh, but I know, the, you know, it, more of a coincidence. But the idea of Thanksgiving has historical roots in um, you know early settlers giving thanks for uh, being a community, breaking bread with um the indigenous peoples and so on and so forth but what it's become symbolized today has been a day of, of family and friends and 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 people um coming coming together and giving thanks um in a you know very secular way um and i thought that some type of thanksgiving-like events uh, uh moment uh, a time for families and friends to to come together in a new time of the year make something kind of new and special about it. make this say positive legacy of COVID, that, Mm -hmm. you know, after what we've gone through, that there's a new bank holiday and and a time, you know, we are all expected to come together and, um, and, and, you know, in remembrance of when we could not uh, uh, do that. I thought that would be, that would be a a good thing. And then I was reflecting further on, you know, how else I could give us a bit of substance um, beyond that. And, and there, again, looking for various comparative examples, uh, look to Australia, which introduced um, an Australian day a few decades ago. And the Australian day um, was one of kind of very much a, a community coming together, a street celebration kind of thing, um, uh, where also there would be uh, several public, for those who wanted it, you do not have to do it, um, but public um, uh, citizenship uh, ceremonies, um, and, and a time to kind of remember you know the um the values of, of being Australian and, and things like this. And so I was thinking about um, that it would be it would be very useful and be very helpful, and I think very positive to bring these things um, uh, together. And then thinking about when it should be, um of course, we have remembrance Sunday um, in um, in November. Uh, where we look to the past and the sacrifices that uh, people made in, in, in the past and, and um, celebrate that looking backwards, as it were. I thought that, you know, um, we don't, of course, have uh, the a, a bank holiday on the Monday mm. to look forward. Um, and I thought that's, you know, I think that's that's how I see this as kind of um, uh, the other half of 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 a wider hole as it were, to make a kind of a bank holiday weekend mm. um a, a, around that um where we look backwards and um uh in you know, in kind of more solemnly on, on the sunday, but then um, look forward uh, on the monday and and um and give kind of more chance for people to um to, to come together and, and so on and to celebrate um uh, British citizenship. and for various reasons, I think um that would be. A very good thing, and and you know, and and you know, and, and for those, in perhaps especially for those, in the Labour Party, after all, it was the Labour, it was Labour government that introduced the citizenship ceremony in the first place, <laughs> um, and they, you know, shouldn't be happening as mine did, in a back room, uh, you know, upstairs, you know, you no know, little natural light, um, <laughs> uh, in a you know closed space where the pizza uh, that was available afterwards wasn't for me. Uh, Oh no, Uh, it was for the young school children um, singing songs for us, uh, welcoming us to to Britain with no further mention made of the event in any uh, local press or or anything uh, like like that. Um, So I I see it as as a day that, you know, new bank holidays are things that the left and right have both been arguing for. I don't take that as ideological. Um, uh, I think making more of the Remembrance Sunday weekend I think would be a good thing. I think that thanks, some kind of, 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 of uh, British uh, um, you know, uh, uh, form of Thanksgiving after COVID is, is a good thing as well. That I think um, if you ask people, would you like a bank holiday in November to spend time with friends and family after the two years we've all had, I bet you'll get a very positive response if you uh, knock on doors and ask uh, people on the street about this. And then to connect this with um, some, you know, have some kind of further activities around, around citizenship and make it um, to kind of connect it, you know, kind of in, in that way with the Sunday, I think would, would, would make it kind of a very, very special, special occasion. Of course, you know, many bank holidays, some people just stay at home. Um, you know, some people don't turn on the TV. Some people do other things. They they, they pursue other activities and that, that's wonderful and they should absolutely do that. It's not, not saying everyone has to uh, go out and, and and wave the flag if, if they don't want to or don't have one or, or don't want to have one and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I think that there is more that can be done in this space. And when people think about what we can do to help integration, what we can help community build and all the rest of it, um, you know, this is one of a great many ideas. I have over 60 proposals mm-hmm. uh, in this pamphlet. I don't want to uh, say you know, this is the only one, but but you know there's a lot of things that we can do, and I think this is this is this is one of them that fits again what you know a kind of model for a new bank holiday others have said, but you know I like to think I connect it with a greater purpose and 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 have a better rationale for its timing than than some of the other proposals I've heard.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's absolutely. my thinking. Yes, no, absolutely, and, and you can you can see your uh, thinking uh, very clearly. Um, I'd just like to turn now to um, the uh, final part on security and to pick up one of the proposals, which is to launch a um, hate crime offender register. I mean, oh. how how um, how important do you think this would be in terms of making people who have recently arrived in the UK feel? Uh, safe if they knew that, that such a thing as a hate crime offender register existed.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for asking this 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 question. I've really been enjoying um, uh, you know this this conversation. The the hate crime offender register first came to mind um, to me when there were a spike of hate crimes that happened. Um, it, you know after the, um, the EU referendum. Mm. And uh, people were saying things like, "You know, how do we, um, you know, what are the ways in which we could kind of clamp down on on this kind of behavior?" Of course, you know, we know what are hate crimes. These things are are set out and noted in court when people are convicted. So it's not a matter of of, of trying to signpost what this is and, and I'm here I'm talking about people you know thinking about hate crime offender register offender being the critical word I'm not talking about you know uh philosophical issues of you know um you know what constitutes a hate crime and, and all the other stuff I'm talking about people who have been convicted of doing a criminal offense um that uh, falls under um, a hate crime categorization mm. that's that's so I'm very specific on that this is not a Thought police uh, kind of project by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, so one idea I had at that time, which I maintain, and I'll get to why I think it the wider importance for immigrants and others, was what exactly could be could be done. Is well, you know, I thought. Well, since we know um, we, we you know people are convicted for um, hate crimes, this does happen, um, sadly, too often. Um, that. I am not for generally increasing the punitiveness um, in terms of, you know, adding time in prison and stuff like that for various reasons. Um, I I often think, you know, that could be, it can can kind of satisfy a a kind of um, uh, senses of public anger sometimes. But if we're interested in Changing minds and and um, rehabilitating offenders and other types of stuff I often think there there's other alternatives that, that work much better but that that's another conversation but on hate crime offenders what 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 would be helpful would be if there were additional consequences um, for doing action those types of offenses mm. um not in terms of increasing sentencing. Not in, um, you know, changing terms of parole or other types of things per se, um, or adding hours of community service, um, which happens in a great many cases, um, you know, things, things like that. It wasn't about kind of tweaking with that, but I thought, you know, at the moment with sex offenders, when people are registered, register, part of the consequences of that is that it prevents individuals from working in certain occupations. Mm. Um, you know, you can't be working with children. Um, you can't be working with uh, vulnerable people mm. um, in general. Um, you know, it uh, you know, rules out um, you know, careers in you know, police enforcement and, and stuff like this. And I thought that that kind of consequence and it's something that can be reviewed, right? So once mm-hmm. you're on a register, doesn't mean you you must be on it um, for life. It is possible to get this judicially um, reviewed, and I think that's important um, as well because I believe in and um, are you know are trying to rehabilitate offenders um, wherever we can, um, and and where we can't, to to work harder in, in doing so. And I think that a hate crime offender register. Would give a, a greater symbolic um, uh, kind of gravitas to the importance that society takes to tackling hate crime, mm. um, taking it taking it more seriously without, you know, um, you know, adding cost in, in prisons and other types of, uh, of things that, um, that, that 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 some might propose, and I, which I also think are counterproductive. Um, it gives greater symbolic um, importance. It shows there's something different. You know, when you do a crime like this, you're on a register. Your name is on a list, um, and that this will mean that certain occupations um, will be um, uh, off the cards mm-hmm. um, uh, for for that person. And I think that that is also uh, important as well. For because after all, why would we want people convicted of hate crimes uh, be teaching young children, be mm. working with vulnerable people, absolutely, um, and so on and so forth. People are have concerns uh, um, about, um, you know, uh, uh, discrimination uh, more widely. And, um, you know, surely when someone has a hate crime offence, that is that has crossed a particular uh, line. Um, it's gone, you know, uh, uh, you know, very far. Um, and I think that would be a good way of, of making a positive, constructive um, uh, action. Again, uh, operating much like the sex offender register. I'm not saying hate mm. crime offenders are just like sex. I, I'm absolutely mm-hmm. not yeah, saying yeah, that whatsoever. But I'm saying that we have a model for a register um, that people are on that forbids one from doing different occupations. And, and I would broadly um, have them kind of those, those registers operate similarly. Of course, the way um, offenders for each are, are, are treated in, in the criminal just, criminal justice system is is very different, and and should remain so. But I think that this would be a way of, of taking hate crime more seriously, and I think also finally um, that you know in terms of labor values and so on, people get sometimes get very nervous about you know this, this idea of, of progressives um, or, or or those on the political left. Um, uh, you know, uh, baring their teeth uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, criminal justice matters and somehow, you know, plays to, I think, a trope that, um, you know, the right are for uh, using prisons and somehow the left, you know, is for, you know, hugging every hugging trees mm-hmm. or yeah. hugging hoodies, as David yeah, yeah. Cameron himself was proposing. He was proposing mm-hmm. to hug hoodies, not the, mm-hmm. not the left. But this idea of one side hugging hoodies, the other side locking uh everybody up and that's of course not true there's i i'm i i'm you know publicly a good friend of robert buckland the former lord chancellor he's 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 been very much for um rehabilitation efforts and promotion of sort of justice and other things you, you know not all conservatives mm-hmm. are yeah. that, that way and that's a very important point and likewise i think on the left i think that um i think there's there's no i think it, it isn't it's Consistent with labor values, that we take a strong um, stand mm. against hate crimes, and if people were engaged in uh, hate crimes of, of any kind, you know, people would be calling on their removal from the party um, mm. a, a, as, a, as a consequence. Um, you know, very easily yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. arguing that, and probably all kinds of you know horrible trolling online uh, behind it. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think that it, you know to have a, a register like this to say that this will limit. Um, career options, at least for the um, you know the the the, the short and medium term, um, subject to judicial review, I, I think you know is consistent with labor values. It takes it more seriously. It gives a greater symbolic importance to the need to tackle hate crimes and sends a message, mm-hmm. um, communicates a message that for those who think that uh, hate crime isn't isn't that bad or isn't that important, and well, it'll just add a. Uh, you know, a few hours here, a few months onto that. Well, actually, there'll be wider consequences uh, for you, um, and and you ought to take it uh, more seriously. That you know, and and I think you know, in 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 light of the lack of many other good ideas, other than just throwing education people. Of course, I'm all for that, but um, you know, there hasn't been actually a lot of uh, uh, serious ideas on on tackling um hate crime beyond greater education and awareness and so on and this might be a way of, mm. of, of spurring that on in um the more serious cases where um people aren't um uh you know where, where people are engaged in in, in, in hate crime related activities so mm-hmm. that's Absolutely. one of the many many ways i propose um tightening up some of the rules and regulations and i think this this has a, a wider importance i'll just make two last points one but I think it might reassure those who come from other countries who might have concerns um, about um, hate crimes happening to them for uh, whatever their protected characteristic might be, um, that this country takes you know, such matters very seriously and they should feel safe um, here. We should all feel um, uh, safe and and, and and that we've gone this extra extra step and you know pretty patel likes talking about how britain can be a world leader and all the rest of it and blah blah and a lot of it uh, a bunch of hot air Mm. um but uh you know this might be a way where um um sensibly uh we could be a genuine um uh, leader on this and i think it it might be something to help tackle the rise of of some really concerning um extremist um, groups and activities and so on In this area. The final point uh, Mm -hmm. I'd make is that one of the things that's been assisted by folks um, on the left and perhaps uh, very vocally on on the right is the need on the citizenship test. I know David Blunkett very strong on this, um, former home secretary who was um, behind the creation of the citizenship test. It was his former university tutor, uh, Sir Bernard Crick who uh, at Sheffield University, my alma mater, that, mm. that, put, um, that actually put the, um, the first test together. They're very committed to the idea that on the test, there are questions about the equality of women, mm. the, um, the um, uh, freedom of, of racial discrimination, and so on and so forth in the test, and that people who come here and, and sit it ought to be tested on, our, on these British values, uh, about toleration, about anti-discrimination, about equality, um, and, and that this is a kind of a very important message that, you know, maybe in other countries there's, there's views on um, uh, how genders interact in the workplace, in the home. But here in Britain, um, we have a particular view of equality uh, and how this works, and it's important that um, this value is known um, and, and taken to heart. Um, and, and I think in, in, in having a hate crime register might be an, a, another way of kind of furthering um, that that project. Again, in a line that is consistent um, with, with both sides of the mm-hmm. political divide.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think, as you say, it's one that um, I think people ac- across the, the spectrum could um, certainly agree with. Thank you um, for coming on uh, the podcast, Tom. We're, co- we're coming rapidly towards um, the end of the podcast. And I have one uh, final question for you um we've recently just passed um easter easter has um not uh that long ago ended and of course as part of easter we like to have things like um uh easter uh bunnies and easter eggs so my final question to you is this if you could have uh, an easter egg uh fashioned out of any politician uh ah. alive or dead uh which politician would you choose to have an easter egg um fashioned in the um shape of or uh based on the appearance of
1: oh my well I, I, if i had such an easter egg at will i don't know if i'd want to eat it uh, <laughs> and, and that that's critical i mean I, i've been a long admirer of, of Clement and lee and 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 my 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 normal reply would be to um would, would be to say something like that but but i'll say uh, um you know i i'll i'll come forward and say it um uh, Keir Starmer, um, Keir's an old friend. Um, I've got a, enormous uh, admiration for him and, and respect. Um, and uh, I think you know we need more things, more things like this. He's mm-hmm. the true prime minister in waiting. I've known this for um, a long time, uh, long before he was uh, in the shadow cabinet. And um, you know, it's, it's. In fact, um, Keir was the last person I shook hands with and had a beer. Uh, before before lockdown, uh, when I was at his uh, leadership uh, HQ in Vauxhall mm. in March 2020, which seems almost a lifetime ago now, but uh, not, not really all that 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 long ago. Um, I, I uh, you know I've huge admiration for 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 him, and he is someone that inspires me. Um, and uh, and I would say say of him, I think you know he is the feature of our party, and. Mm. Um, I'm, you know, going to be working doggedly Mm -hmm. and flat out, I'm happy to be quoted, um, to, to ensure that he becomes our next Prime Minister at the soonest available moment.
0: Excellent. Well, I think that that's a fine, a,
1: it'll be a fine, uh, you know, uh, Easter egg at that. Yes.
0: Yes. I think it would be a, an excellent, um, Easter egg. Uh, thank you uh, once again for coming on the podcast, Tom. If people want to find out more about you and, uh, find where they can, uh, get the uh, pamphlet, where should they go to find out more about you and to, and to get a copy of the pamphlet? Uh, the
1: easiest place would be either on Twitter, um, Tom, T-H-O-M, underscore Brooks, uh, without an E, I can't spell either name, uh, blame my being American, um, or my website, uh, which is tombrooks.info.
0: Excellent. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast, Tom. A great joy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one.